Welcome to Calvary Napolis. So glad to have you here with us. We are back to the meeting at 10:15, and uh, really, really excited to do so. I don't. I think most people didn't really like the uh, the splitting up of the services. So good to be back. And for all those who are watching from home, uh, welcome. Glad that you could join us from wherever it is that you are watching. And so trust. I trust and pray that we will all be blessed by God's Word no matter where we are, as long as we are hearing it and hiding it in our hearts. Amen? Amen. All right. So um, a few announcements before we get into today's study. Uh, First off, I just want to say that we do have a a, uh, men's Bible study. It's called Men of the Word, and it's been meeting on Zoom, uh, but we are now going to bring it back, and we're going to start having it at the church. So men, that is Monday night at 6.30, and Matt Scott is the guy that is leading that. So they read through the scriptures, a a particular book, chapter by chapter through the week, um, and then discuss it when they come together. And so um, not 100% sure where they're at right now. I think um, it's either Matthew or Luke, uh, so forgive me on the, the details there. But if you would... Uh, contact Matt Scott at men at calvarynapa.org and he will plug you in. He'll get you all the details. He'll let you know um, and so that you can come and be a part of that. So it's just a, an exciting thing. You know, it's good for the men to come together and to be in the Word and to, to be able to discuss these things and to strengthen one another in the Lord. And so we, yet again, just another opportunity uh, for the men to come together in fellowship. And we have a number of different things that we do, and we'll be kind of spotlighting those uh, moving forward so everybody can uh, can know how and where you can fit in. And so there's that. Um, thank you guys for uh, observing the, the, the protocols, the, the distancing things. Um, it means a lot to us. We want people to feel safe. We want people to be safe. And so um, it's, it's important that we work together on this, and you guys are doing it, and I thank you for that, especially as we're moving into uh, one service now and, and so on and so forth. So again, just by way of reminder, if you're moving around, if you leave your seat or um, you know, hanging out inside the building, you mask on, but when you're outside, you don't have to have a mask. When you're inside, you don't, or when you're sitting in your seat, you don't have to wear a mask. And we're just asking no handshaking and, and little things like that. So thank you guys so much for that. This is exciting. We've been working on a website for, for quite some time now, a new website, and it is almost done. We are almost there. And there's a number of features on there that I think uh, people are going to be very blessed by. Uh, one big thing that people have asked us about frequently is a a calendar that you can go on and, and see what all is happening when it's happening and so that that will be there along with a, a number of other things so uh, almost there really excited for you guys to see what we have there we know it'll be a, a great help to to the the body here and uh, so on and so forth so just want to let you know that and contact info this is really important for us we want to make sure that whenever we have something to tell you that you're going to be able to actually receive the message so um, we have asked if we don't have your contact information that you would get it to us and right now it's kind of challenging we can't put out a sign-up list or we don't have the prayer cards in the chairs so if you know that we don't have your email address or any contact info at all, would you please call the church? And if no one answers, you can leave it on the voicemail and it will transcribe it and email it to us and we can get that taken care of. If you don't have Facebook or Instagram, but you have the ability to get it, then please, would you do that? Because that's also something 
that we're trying to start doing. And so we want to be able to send uh, messages out weekly, videos talking about what's up and coming in the, in the next service and other things that may, might be happening around the church. So we want to be able to be uh, in contact with you to the best of our ability. I would love to potentially do some devotional type stuff periodically. There's one thing that was uh, painfully obvious to me during the shelter in place was how disconnected I can be with, with many of you because I don't, traditionally I haven't been on those kinds of uh, platforms. And so we want to change that. So would you help us by making sure that you, uh, you have that on your end so that when we send out information and videos, we can be sure that you have it. And if you don't know how to do that, just talk to somebody in here. I'm certain somebody can help you and get it on your phone for you or, or whatever the case may be. All right, so as I said, we, uh, we are going to be doing a new series you know, I'm really looking forward to just getting back and teaching through the Bible again, verse by verse, through different books. That is what we do. That is our heart. That's what we love to do. But this has been uh, an odd season, and so we've been doing things a little differently, and I've just been picking different series and doing verse by verse studies through different texts in the Bible. And now we're going to do a series for the next six weeks today and then five more weeks on what we're calling the vital signs of Calvary Napa the things that are important to us. There are more. There are more things to be sure that we could emphasize, but we wanted to keep it simple, and we wanted to put something in front of you that would communicate what's important and that we can kind of see how are we doing in these areas. I want this to be kind of the, in the, 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 the speech of our church when we're talking to each other, reminding each other of these things and encouraging each other with these things. And so uh, the one that we're going to be looking at today kind of kicks this whole series off, and it's called People Follow. Called People Follow. That is the, uh, the message for today. And so as we're moving forward with these things, I'm just asking that you be present. And if you can't be here, that you would watch from home, because I want you guys to hear these. I want you to know this is part of our makeup. This is the kind of the, the vision of the church, the trajectory that we are on. And I want us to all understand and be on the same page with these things. So as I said, called people follow. Uh, so at this point, we're going to move into our study. Um, I have a lot of scriptures I'm going to share with you today. So I'm not asking you to turn to any particular verse. Just kind of hang on, track with me as we go. If you can do it fast enough, you're welcome to try to uh, get the text uh, in front of you as we're going, but there's a lot to cover today. So um, let me just say this. I'm going to start by, by saying this. We are always seeking to grow and improve. That's our heart in this church. We want to grow individually, personally, and we want to improve. And we want to do so, do so as a church. We want to always have that in front of us. Always growing. Always improving. I always want to stir you guys up to love and good works, as it says in Hebrews chapter 10. Right? That's what we are to do, is it not? We are to assemble together and to encourage one another. The word is literally provoke one another to love and good works. And so I love to admonish People. I love to encourage people in the Lord and the Word. I love to be challenged. I don't know about you. And I love to challenge people. I think that's what it's all about. And so today's message is going to be that very much so. And, and in the coming weeks, these will be very challenging to us. 
But you know, I, uh, I saw a documentary not long ago called The American Gospel. I don't know how many of you, of you in here have seen it, but if you haven't, I cannot recommend it to you enough. The American Gospel. You can, it's on Netflix. You can rent it on YouTube, uh, Vimeo, I believe. But I would encourage you to check it out. And in it, a pastor made this comment, and it was really interesting to me. He said, for years I thought my job was to convince people to do things that they didn't want to do. Right? Now, I've seen this documentary many times, and I've heard him say that several times over, and I quickly thought, yeah, yeah, that's not good, that ain't cool, I don't do that. Uh, You know, obviously. But then uh, recently I, I watched it again and I heard him say that and it hit me. Is that, is that what I'm doing? Is that what it is? Am I always pushing people to do more and they just don't want to? You know, I had to really think through that a little bit. And I think, first off, you know, there are people who are doing exactly what they should be doing and I praise God for that. I think there are people who want to do more and they just don't know how. They don't know what that means, what that looks like. There are people who want to do more and feel like they just can't. They just can't. And then there are people who who just don't. They just don't want to. And I, I think it's all the way across the board. But the reality is it is not my heart to try to convince people to do more or to to do something that they don't want to do. What it is is, guys, there is more out there for us. There is so much more out there that the Lord would have for us to walk in. And that is the journey of the Christian, is to go deeper into the things of God, to know God in a greater way, to walk in a deeper place of holiness with Him, to serve Him in new and greater ways. Amen? It's a journey, the Christian experience. And it's my desire that I would be going deeper and that we would be going deeper into the things of God. And so that's my heart. And we recognize that there is more. There is more. You know, I was thinking about my daughter. She's three years old and she loves Cheerios for breakfast. Just plain, bland Cheerios. And that's all she will eat and that's all she's eaten for breakfast generally is, is those Cheerios. And I'm just like, man, that is so boring. And I thought, there is a galaxy of cereals out there and other kinds of foods. And I've tried to like give her other cereals and she won't eat it. And I'm just thinking, she has no clue. I mean, there is so much good stuff out there, but she is stuck on plain, bland Cheerios. And I kind of feel like maybe that's the way it is for the Christian oftentimes. We're stuck on Cheerios, folks. And so I think Jesus would have us to understand that there's more. And He has called us to more. And so that's what I want to encourage us with. That's the, the, the cry of my heart. And so that's, uh, with that, we'll get into our message today. Let us just go before the Lord uh, one more time. Jesus, we love You, and we know that You have called us deeper, and we, Lord, we desire to go. We want to walk with You. We want to follow You. We want to know You, and we want to serve You. We want to worship You. Jesus, we just want to be where You are. We want to be with You. Thank You that You are with us, that You dwell in us by Your Holy Spirit, and that one day we will be with You in perfection and glory. We will be in Your presence. And we long for that day. But God, in the meantime, You've called us to serve You well. And so that's our desire. So show us how. Teach us how. Encourage us to do that, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. 
Okay, so when you go on our website, you're going to see these vital signs and you'll be able to click on it and it will uh, give you a, a summary of, of what it is, what we mean when we say these things. And so for called people follow, it says this. In the Gospels, we see Jesus call people to follow Him and He is still calling people to follow Him today. The call demands supreme loyalty and it includes self-sacrifice, serving others, living in obedience to His commands, and imitating His life. Jesus never said that following Him would be easy. Quite the opposite. He said, take up your cross and follow Me. That means that we are to die to our own selfish desires, to build security, comfort, and earthly treasures. Instead of laboring to build our own little kingdom, we are to live for the furtherance of His kingdom and His fame here on earth. Amen? That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So I have several texts that I would like to share with you today to help us understand more fully what that means. So the first point, and it's a very simple and obvious one, Jesus called people to follow Him. Jesus called people to follow Him. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, we're told that Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers... Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Over in Luke chapter 5, verse 27, it says that after these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. So Jesus said, follow me to these guys. He, he came to them where they were at as they were working, giving themselves to, to what they did to feed themselves and their families. And Jesus said, follow me. Now this was a literal call. This was a literal call for them to leave everything and, and go where Jesus went, wherever that was. They didn't know. And I think we take this for granted sometimes. I mean, this is serious faith, guys. I mean, if someone came to me and said, follow me, I'm the Son of God, or something like that, I'm going to think, I think you should probably go to the Napa State Hospital because you're crazy, right? But Jesus approached these guys and said, follow me, and they did. They left everything behind and they followed Jesus. This was a call for them to be a disciple. This was the call to be a disciple. And I want you to understand that that's what we are, folks. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. You know, for the first few years of my Christian life, I didn't even know that. I heard a pastor actually answer that question in a sermon. He said, I don't know if you know that, but that is still a relevant term today. We are disciples of Jesus. That was new to me. And a disciple is one who learns. They are a learner. They learn from their teacher and then they imitate his life. That's what it is. And that's what they were called to do, to leave everything behind and to live with Jesus, to follow Jesus, to study Jesus, to imitate Jesus, and to obey Him. That was the call. And so they were called to be disciples, and so are we. We are disciples. And so this is synonymous. When you say you're a follower of Jesus, that means that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. You are a learner and an imitator of Him. Where I'm from, it's a very cultural thing. You know, everyone's a Christian but there are a few followers of Jesus. And so you almost get away from using the term Christian because of what it means generally to most people. 
and you use terms like follower or disciple to better get at the essence of it. And that's the reality. We are called to be disciples. We are disciples called to make disciples. And that's the mission statement of this church. Uh, moving forward, uh, as you see on our website and, and other places, that is what we are about. Disciples making disciples. And so it's, it's easy, to, uh, easy to, to say, easy to remember. It's not so easy to live. But that's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to do. Can you say that with me? Disciples making disciples. Thank you. That's what we are and that's what we are called to do. Matthew chapter 28 tells us that. And so we are here 2,000 years later because they took seriously that commission that Jesus gave to the disciples. They were disciples called to make disciples. And 2,000 years later, here we are because of that commission. And we are on that same mission. And if the Lord doesn't come back, we're going to continue on that mission. And there will be other Christians who will come after us because we stand in that line. We, we belong to that mission. That is who we are and that's what we do. And so they were called, we are called. Notice that Jesus said, I will make you. Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're fishermen, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Jesus would transform their lives fundamentally. Jesus was going to transform them, who they were and what they did. Their mission in life was about to change as they knew it. And they would never be able to go back. They would try to go back. But Jesus would get them and, and remind them and reset their focus. Instead of fishermen, they would be fishers of men. Jesus gave them a brand new mission in life. And that's the way that it is, is for us, folks. When we come to Jesus, we have a new mission in life. We are changed. We live for different things now. We strive for different things now. We have different values, different goals a different purpose in life. And frankly, for some people, it's the first time they have purpose in life. I had no purpose before I knew Jesus. I had no clue what the meaning of my life was to be and, and what I was to live for. But when I came to know Jesus, that was when I knew. I knew who I was and I knew what I was called to do. And that's a great feeling, i got to tell you. And that's what Jesus does. These guys spontaneously and instantly forsook their livelihoods. They just walked away from it. You know, these guys were fishermen by trade, and that's what they did. Matthew was a tax collector. I've talked about this before. Uh, under the Roman occupancy, people were given, you know, a good bit of freedom, but there were certain things they had to do, and one of them was pay tax to Rome. And so oftentimes they would have local people in charge of collecting these taxes. You could actually purchase a particular area. And so everybody who lived in that area was under your jurisdiction and you collected taxes from those people and you gave a portion of it to Rome and you got to keep a portion. And oftentimes these folks would take more than was required so that they could really live lavishly off the taxes that were taken from the people. And they were hated as a result of this, hated by the people but Matthew was at the tax office. He was sitting there collecting taxes. Jesus called him and he got up and left it. He walked away from it. That's radical, guys. That is radical. And you know what? For some people, that's exactly what Jesus has called them to do. I've seen it. I've seen it. We've obviously read about it. We've heard so many stories of people who 
who made the choice, they made the decision to go and to follow Jesus like that. And that is amazing to me. But the reality is all who follow Jesus undergo a radical and fundamental transformation. We are changed. We are different. Our lives no longer look the same. Our futures are not going to look the same. This may look different from person to person. It's, it's not an across-the-board kind of thing what Jesus calls each and every one of us to live and look like. But one thing is for sure, when Jesus comes into your life and He calls you, your life will be different. Your life will change. And for, I think, most of us in this room, we know that. We've been there. We've experienced that. We're still experiencing that to this day. So, recognizing that Jesus calls people to follow. And when He calls, we go. Amen? Amen. Alright, point two. Jesus requires supreme loyalty. Following Jesus requires supreme loyalty. And that is in Luke chapter 14. You can turn there if you'd like. We've got a um, few scriptures to cover from this, uh, this chapter. So, Luke chapter 14, verse 25. says, Now great multitudes went with him. And he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now these are startling words, are they not? This is challenging stuff. It's confusing stuff. Well, first what we notice here is that there was a great multitude following Jesus. But you know what? He wasn't impressed by that. Jesus wasn't impressed by great crowds. He was skeptical. He was skeptical. And it's kind of like, are you guys really followers of me? Are you sure that you really ought to be here? And then he says, well, let's just, let's just uh, look at it. You know, you have to, you have to hate your, your father and your mother and your brother and your sister. You have to hate your own life. You have to be willing to take up a cross if you want to follow me. Now, this is confusing to us, I think. And uh, is Jesus really calling us to hate our family? Well, the answer is no, He's not. That would be an obvious contradiction to other commands that have been given us. What's happening here is Jesus is using hyperbole. And what He's saying is, is that our love for Jesus must be unrivaled. There can't be close seconds. There can't be anybody that we hold up next to Him and put on a level plane. And there is certainly nothing or no one that we can rise above Him. Jesus is saying there's no room for that whatsoever if you're going to be My disciple. No unrivaled love here. That is, uh, there can't be anyone even close to Jesus. And that's challenging for us, isn't it, folks? Because our hearts love so many other things. Our hearts love so, much, so many lesser things. You know, it's been said that the, the human heart is an idol factory. And just constantly making idols. And as soon as we stop worshiping one idol, we start worshiping another. And Jesus said, you can't do that. Your love for me has to be supreme. I think we get the better sense of this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. It says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. 
He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So we must love Jesus more than anything or anyone. And there's no question about that. We must. And can I just say that if you love Jesus more than anything or anyone, you're going to love that, that person or those people infinitely more than you would if they were your number one. Loving God above all of other things qualifies us to truly love people as we ought. But when we love ourselves and we love other people and we put them or ourselves above Jesus, then there are problems that ensue. And so we're to love Jesus more than anyone. We're to love Jesus more than our own lives. We would follow Jesus wherever He called us to go, even if it cost our life. You know, before my wife and I moved here, we were in Tennessee, and Pastor Bill used to go on uh, missions trips to Mexico uh, regularly, so he invited us to go on a trip. And so Jess and I went, and we had hoped that perhaps some people from our church would go. We had done um, other missions trips to Mexico from Tennessee. And when we would be... Um, Promoting those trips, you would have so many people who would express fear. They didn't want to go. They couldn't go because there's cartels over there. Or there's this and there's that. And so when we were in Mexico, uh, Jess and I, and we were talking to Bill and we were sharing that with him, I'll never forget what he said. He said, oh, so they want to save their lives. And I thought, yeah, that's exactly what it is. I mean, he just tied it to this verse so well. That's what it amounts to. If you're not willing to follow Jesus into dangerous territory, if you're not willing to follow Jesus because it's inconvenient or because it's uncomfortable or because it's even potentially dangerous, then you love your life. You love your life more than Jesus. And Jesus said that you have to be willing to take up your cross. And so I wanted to take just a moment to talk about the idea of the cross, the scandal of the cross. When Jesus used this kind of language, people knew what He meant. Uh, for us, I think that uh, a cross, is a, it's, it's decorative. We decorate things with it. It could even be a good luck charm to a lot of people. But it was an instrument of, of torture. It was an instrument of, of murder. It was for capital punishment. When someone was put on that cross, they weren't coming off alive. I've said this frequently, and I love this quote. It's been said that one thing you know about a man carrying a cross out of that town was he wasn't coming back. And it's such a scandalous thing that people didn't talk about the cross. You didn't talk about the cross in public because it was taboo. You know, it was something that people knew very well what it was and what it meant. And it was the horror of the cross was something that you just didn't even talk about. But Jesus would say, you've got to be willing to follow me. You've got to be willing to take up a cross, to take up your cross if you want to follow me. And this was very literal for some of the disciples. They did. They were crucified, history would tell us. But it also means something else. And I, as I've already alluded to it, it, it's a willingness to die to ourselves. You know, it's not about Rob anymore. It's not about my ambitions. It's not about my goals, my dreams my desires. It's about Jesus. He has called me into His service. He has called me to follow Him. And He's told me that I'm to take up my cross if I want to follow Him. So I have been crucified with Christ and I now live in Him, with Him, for Him. Amen? And that's the idea of carrying a cross. 
And sometimes it gets uh, mixed up. People, when they're talking about a burden, <clears throat> maybe you have a burden in your life, and they'll say, well, that's just my cross to bear. That's, that's not accurate. That's a burden. We all have difficulties. People face different kinds of difficulties. And we're told that we can, we can cast our cares on Jesus. We can come to Him with, with our burdens. And we're to help uh, each other in, in burdens, help one another to carry burdens. Amen? But the cross is something altogether different. You've got to carry your own cross. And I have to carry mine. And we have to determine that we're willing to do that if we want to be followers of Jesus. Well, as we move on to the te- uh, into this text here, I would say the next point is that following Jesus requires a calculated commitment. Point three, following Jesus requires a calculated commitment. Chapter 14, verse 28 says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish it. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him uh, who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple." Again, man, this is heavy language here. This is Jesus talking. I want, don't forget that. People love to portray Jesus in a variety of ways. But sometimes we lose sight of the fact that Jesus said hard things. Jesus said very challenging things. He made serious demands. He had real expectations. And so we're told here that you have to determine. You have to determine if you can pay the necessary price. Can you pay? Are you willing to pay? And this varies for different people, you know? Jesus calls certain people into deeper levels of sacrifice and commitment than He does others. And that's okay. It doesn't look the same for everybody. And ultimately, you're accountable to Jesus for for what He has called you to do. But you have to determine if you're willing to pay the price. And this is very backwards from much of what we hear in our day and age about Jesus and the church. It's very much what Jesus is going to give us. It's all about how our lives are going to improve as a result. But actually, Jesus said it's going to cost you. You've got to pay. Are you willing to pay? That's the question. He also says that it's like going into war. You have to determine, are you ready for that? Are you ready to go to war? Because that's exactly what it is. And you know what? We don't live like that. We don't live like we're in a war, do we? We expect ease and comfort and things to go smoothly. And then the instant something crazy happens, we are shocked. We are thrown off. Right? I mean, let's just be honest with ourselves. But folks, we're in a war and that's something that I'm trying to do better at. You know, every day realizing something's probably going to happen today that I don't like. And it's going to be frustrating and it's going to be hurtful or it's going to be this or that. But you know what? That's to be expected because I'm in a war. We are soldiers for Jesus Christ. We're not to be entangled with the affairs of this life that we may please Him who has enlisted us to be a soldier. Right? 
And so Jesus says, if you're not willing to do this, you can't be my disciple. If you're not willing to pay, if you're not willing to go to war, you can't be my disciple. Then he says this, and this is like even more shocking. Verse 34, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What he's essentially saying here is that just as what, you know, of what good is flavorless salt? Salt that has no flavor. It's worthless. It's worthless. And he said it's to be thrown out. And what he's essentially saying here is so is a would be disciple who won't carry a cross. Just as salt, flavorless salt, is worthless, so is a would be disciple who will not carry a cross. Those are Jesus' words. And then he says, think about this. Do you hear what I'm saying? Is it registering? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Very challenging stuff, is it not? But I just say this to say that Jesus has called us to a standard. He has called us into something glorious. And He's called us into something deep. He's called us into something that is, that is very worthwhile. There's nothing better than following Jesus and serving Him. But when we do that, know that it comes with expectations. Not everybody's willing to pay that price. Not everybody's willing to do what it takes. In Mark chapter 10, we know the story of the rich young ruler. I think we all know it well. He came to Jesus and said, what must I do to have eternal life? And then Jesus says, you know the commands. And then he lists a few. And then he says, hey, I've kept all these from my youth. And Jesus says, one thing that you lack. And so verse 21, then Jesus looking at him, loved him, said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow Me. But He was sad at that word, and He went away sorrowful. Why? Because He had great possessions. That was more important to Him than Jesus. Now Jesus in love, notice that, He looked at Him and He loved Him, called this young man to take up His cross and to follow Him. Jesus called upon Him to turn from His idols and to forsake everything for Him. He was not willing to do it. He counted the cost. The cost was too high. And he went away sad. That is sad, isn't it? This guy had the opportunity of a lifetime to follow our Lord. But his possessions were more important to him. You know, what's more important to us? What in your life is more important? What holds you back? What keeps you from really serving the Lord? What keeps you from really walking with Him in holiness and love? and obedience. It's not worth it, you know. It's not worth it. Nothing is worth it. Well, the next one, next point, four, Jesus' true sheep will follow Him. Jesus said that. Jesus' true sheep will follow Him. John chapter 10, verse 14, He says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So there's a genuine connection between the Good Shepherd and His sheep. We know the Good Shepherd. Amen? We are His sheep, the sheep of His pasture. The Good Shepherd feeds His sheep. He leads His sheep. He protects His sheep. 
And the good shepherd even laid down his life for the sheep. That's why he's the good shepherd. He was willing to go all the way. Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus, our Savior, our King, was willing to humble himself. He was willing to come here from heaven and to live amongst his creation. And he was willing to die a sinner's death, being mocked and rejected by those whom he created. By his own creation, he was ridiculed and betrayed and abandoned and rejected and nailed to that cross. And he did that in love so that we would be saved, so that through his sacrifice on that cross, our sins could be washed away. Because the innocent one, the holy one of God, who deserved no punishment, took our punishment on himself on that cross. So that we, who desperately need God's mercy, who desperately need God's forgiveness, when we trust Jesus, when we put our faith in him as the one who came and and lived a perfect life and died the death that he didn't deserve in our stead and rose again from the grave, when we believe on him, we receive that mercy. We receive that forgiveness. We receive that grace. And we receive that call to follow Him. Amen? That's the Good Shepherd. And that's what He has called us to. And He says that His sheep, they know Him. They hear Him. And they follow Him. Look, Christian. Look, follower, disciple of Jesus. We have a living Lord with a living Word. He is alive and He speaks. He speaks to us through His Word. And because we are His, because we belong to Him, we hear His voice and we know. We know when the Lord is speaking to us. And we follow Him gladly. If you are His, you will hear Him and know Him. And you know when He's speaking to you. And you know when He is calling you. And He's calling you to go deeper. He's calling you to a deeper place of love, a deeper place of holiness, a deeper place of surrender. Jesus' true sheep will hear Him and they will follow Him. Five, following Jesus means doing what He does. You know, it's, it's funny. I'm, I know we've all heard the saying, don't, don't do what I do, do what I say, right? You've heard that? We kind of maybe uh, have, have heard people say that. Maybe we've said that. And we all know, obviously, there's a real, real uh, problem with that. But you know, with Jesus, we do what He does and we do what He says. And so, Matthew chapter 10, verse 24, He says this, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he looks like his teacher and a servant like his master. John chapter 13, verse 15, he says, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. A teacher teaches and a student learns. Seems pretty simple, does it not? And this was a great, uh, a great way for Jesus to communicate the nature of the relationship. You know, the difference between Greek and Jewish systems of learning 
One really prized the ability to remember truth and then to be able to communicate it back in the Jewish way or the, the Greek way of thinking. But the, the Jewish way was that if, if a student could understand it, communicate it, but lived it. When a person lived it, then they knew they had truly learned it. And so Jesus is the teacher and He expects us as students to learn and to live what He has taught us. The teacher teaches and the student learns. The servant serves the Master, not the other way around, Jesus says. But you know what? Sometimes we may act like we outrank the Master. Sometimes we act like we know more than the teacher, don't we? But the reality is we don't. We don't. Jesus is the Master and the teacher. He has given us instructions and He has given us an example to live by. It's not a suggestion and it's not just theory. It's authoritative and it's concrete. And you will be blessed if you follow Jesus' example. He said it. The blessing is in doing it. It's not enough to just know it. It's not enough to just be able to repeat it back. The blessing is in doing it. The blessing is in following Jesus and following His example. And so, I mean, just in a nutshell, what that means is first, holiness. We have to be a people who are marked by holiness. That we take godliness seriously. Jesus was in right relationship with the Father. And He was godly and holy in the presence of people. Inwardly and outwardly, Jesus was as holy as it gets. And we have been called to holiness. God says, be holy because I am holy. That doesn't mean that we are to be perfect because we can't be. But we are to strive to be different. We are to strive to look like God in our character and our actions and our love. Holiness. Holiness. Is that something that we take seriously? To be humble. Jesus was the humble King. To walk in humility. To put others above ourselves. To be servants. Even Jesus said that He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. He truly was a humble servant. He didn't have to be, but that was in His nature. And that is what God esteemed as great. The way up is down to humble oneself, and God will exalt you in due time. Humility, love. Jesus loved people. Jesus loved people. Jesus loved the most unlikely of people. But if you want to be like Jesus, if you want to follow Him, you've got to get busy loving folks practically and in your hearts. Truth-telling. Man, Jesus was a truth-teller, was He not? That's what He lived for. He told the truth everywhere He went. And He hung out with the kinds of people that society or the religious culture said you should never hang out with. And He hung out with them and He loved them and He broke bread with them, but He was there for a reason. He was there to tell them the truth. The truth about God. The truth about the kingdom. I think so often, guys, we are distracted by other things and we want to tell the truth as we see it on so many other fronts, but we're not telling the truth about Jesus and His Gospel and about God. That's the truth that Jesus was telling and that's the truth that we are to tell. Jesus was on mission. 
Jesus lived a life of mission and purpose. He came to do what the Father told Him to do. If you want to be like Christ, we have to be on that same mission. He gave us a mission. He said, you're a disciple and you're to make disciples. We're going to be talking about this in the, in the following weeks, what that means, what that looks like. The other vital signs that follow this, we'll kind of fill that in a little bit. But just know that has to be our mission, our objective. All right, well, the next point, following Jesus requires doing what He says. All right, so it requires doing what He does, but it also requires doing what He says. John chapter 14, verses 15 and 21, If you love Me, keep My commandments. He who has My commandments and keeps them, it is He who loves Me. We don't obey Jesus to get His love. You've got to get that straight. If you think that you have to get your life right so that you can get His love, it does not work that way. You come to Christ as you are. You turn to Him in faith and you call upon His name for salvation. But He changes you from the inside out and He gives you a new way to live. He gives you His commands and He expects us to live by them. We demonstrate our love to Jesus by walking in obedience. And if you're not willing to do what He says, then you love something else more than Him. If you're not willing to do what Jesus says, then you love something else more than Him. Whatever that is. We can't say that we love Him if it's not in our hearts to try to seek Him and to obey Him. Now, we fall short on this all the time. I'll be the first to say it. But the reality is there's something in us that compels us to get up over and over and to continue to press in and to seek Him and to obey Him. It's in us because we're His sheep and we hear His voice and we know His call and we love Him and we want to keep His commandments. Alright, seven. Following Jesus requires a single-minded focus. Following Jesus requires a single-minded focus. In Luke chapter 9, this is again a very startling verse, verse 61. It says this, And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus encounters a would-be follower with a reasonable request. Nothing wrong with this, right? The guy just wants to go back and at least say goodbye to his family. And Jesus says, You can't even do that. And he says, Anyone who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. Now, obviously, plowing then and plowing in our culture looked quite different. And so they would be uh, attached to oxen who are pulling the plow and you're trying to keep this thing straight. And it was a very challenging task. And obviously, you had to look straight. You couldn't look to the left or the right or behind you. You had to have a single focus. So Jesus employs this language. But I think that what Jesus is really doing here is he's pulling from some other texts from the Old Testament. When you consider these together, it's really insightful. This, to me, sounds very much like Elisha's call into ministry in 1 Kings 19. Maybe you've heard of the prophet Elisha. Well, this can get kind of confusing because you have the prophet Elijah and then the prophet Elisha. Elisha was called by Elijah to follow him. So Elisha is out in the field. He's plowing. Elijah comes walking by and just throws his cloak on him. 
And to us, it's like, okay, that's really weird. What in the world is that? It's essentially uh, symbolic for the fact that he was now calling Elisha to follow him into the ministry of prophet. And so Elisha asked Elijah if he could go back and bid his family farewell to kiss his mom and dad goodbye. And Elijah said, sure. I mean, he didn't say it in those words, but he, he allowed him to go. And so he went back. And he took some of the oxen that he was plowing with, sacrificed them, took the plow that he was on, destroyed it, and used that for the fire to, to uh, have this feast with. And this was essentially him saying, I can't go back. I'm not going back. I am destroying the, the plow and I'm sacrificing on it and I am going to follow this call. Jesus said, you, couldn't, you can't even do that. You can't even do that. The person that looks back is not fit for the kingdom. And this sounds very similar to Lot's wife, doesn't it? You remember the story of, of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah? And God was going to have mercy on Lot's family and deliver them out of Sodom before he destroyed it. But as they were leaving, Lot's wife did what? What did she do? She looked back. She looked back, and then the, the Bible says she was turned into a pillar of salt. The idea was that she looked back with longing. There was something back there that she wanted. She didn't want to leave that behind. That was where her heart really was. And so that's, I think you tie all this together and Jesus uses this language. No one having put their hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You cannot be held back. You cannot look back. You cannot have a divided heart. And I think we may have a divided heart. I think that God has called us out of certain things and we just look back somehow as though it were better back there or there was somewhere we would rather be. We can't have a divided heart when it comes to following Jesus. We have to stay looking straight ahead. We have to have a single-minded focus when it comes to walking with Him. In John chapter 21, verse 22 Jesus has, rose, has risen again from the dead and He's walking with the disciples and um, He seems to tell Peter what's getting ready to happen to Peter at some point in the future and it sounds like He's prophesying his, his death that He would be crucified. And so John comes walking by and Peter looks at him and says to, to Jesus, well, what about this guy? What about that guy over there? And this is Jesus' response. Um... Verse, chapter 21, verse 21, Peter seeing him and said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Oftentimes, we're, we're way too concerned with what other people are doing. We can look at other people and let that distract us, deter us, frustrate us, discourage us. We can allow other Christians to, to cause us to think, well, if that's the way the church is, or if that's how Christians are, then what, you know, and we can't do that. You have to look to Jesus. Single-minded focus. You can't be looking at what all the other people are doing and what they are getting tripped up by or distracted by or giving their efforts to or whatever stance they're taking on this or that. You've got to look to Jesus. What has Jesus called you to do? Jesus has called you to follow Him. Jesus has given you a mission. And that doesn't change. 
That doesn't change based on the culture and the time that we live in and the issues of the day and all the different divisions that are happening and all the different stances that people are taking and all the various things that people are fighting for and championing. That doesn't change. You're a follower of Christ. You have a mission that He has given you. And so you have to have a single-minded focus when it comes to following Him. You know what? I'm not their Lord and they are not following me. I'm to keep my eyes on Jesus to follow Him and not be distracted by others. Alright, number eight. We're almost done here. Following Jesus will result in a fruitful life. Following Jesus will result in a fruitful life. John chapter 14, verse 5, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so you will be my disciples. A life of following Jesus will be a fruitful life. You know, I remember the fruit in my life. You know, I had, a, I had a fruitful life before I was walking with Jesus. It was just rotten fruit. It was disgusting fruit. And, you know, to follow Jesus, there's true fruit. You know, it's, it's a life that blesses other people. It's a life that encourages other people. It's a life truly worth living. You know, fruit. Sometimes I think we can get a little twisted what fruit is. And that's something that we have to, uh, we have to check. Fruit is growing. Fruit is in character, first off. We know that because the Bible says what the fruits of the Spirit are. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. You know, that, that's fruit, first and foremost. That's a real sign. That's a real marker of being filled with the Spirit and being a disciple of Jesus. But it's also making a contribution. You know, it's not all about me anymore. It's about other people. It's not about my kingdom. It's about God's kingdom. And I want to live for that kingdom. And I want to live for others. And I want to make a contribution in their lives. That was one thing that, for me, I realized I couldn't take back all of the years I couldn't take back so much of what I had done, all the regrets that I carried. But what I knew was that moving forward, I could give back. I could serve the Lord. And I could bless people's lives. And I could try to lead them in the right direction. You know, making an impact. Making an impact for God's kingdom. And He uses us like that. Isn't that amazing? God will use you to make an impact on eternity. And so, the, as I said, the coming weeks, as we continue to look at these other, other vital signs, I'm going to get real practical with you and, and fill that in of what that looks like and how we as a church can be doing this together, personally, corporately, but being fruitful. You know, Jesus said, apart from Him, we can't do anything. You know, there's a lot of people out there doing a lot of things, and it looks good, but Jesus said that there will be no genuine or lasting fruit if we did it apart from Him. True fruit, true, lasting, genuine fruit comes from walking with Jesus, following Him and serving Him. And you know what? Fruit is important to God. Why? It tells us right here. 
Because God is glorified in fruit. God is glorified when we have a fruitful life. So you better believe that God takes seriously making you fruitful. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, there is going to be fruit. And God is going to be glorified in it. And if you're not being fruitful, you should examine yourself. You should really think carefully. Am I really walking in the light? Am I really Jesus's? Am I really His sheep? Because I'm supposed to be a fruitful person if I'm following Him. Alright, now the last one. If you don't follow Jesus, where else are you going to go? If you don't follow Jesus, where else are you going to go? John chapter 6 says uh, in verse 66 and following, From that time many disciples, many of His disciples, went back and walked with Him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also we have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Jesus had great crowds. And there were, there were disciples that were on the periphery. But they would not go all the way in. They were following for whatever reason. But when Jesus started saying hard things, they defected. They were out. They couldn't pay that price. They, they weren't willing to go all the way in. And so then Jesus turns to His twelve and said, Do you want to go? He gave them the opportunity to bow out. And Peter responded correctly. He said, Lord, where else can we go? Where else would we go? There is nowhere else to go. Folks, I don't know about you, but I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back to Egypt. I do not look on Egypt with longing eyes and think, oh, it was so good then. You know what? I want to keep moving forward. I want to put my hand to that plow and I want to keep plowing in Jesus' name. There's nothing back there for you either, folks. Don't turn to the left. Don't turn to the right. Don't look back. Keep moving forward because there's nowhere else to go. There is, no, there is hope in no other name. There is life in no other name. Jesus is the one, and you've found it. You've found the way. The way is narrow. The way to life is narrow, and you've found it. Stay on that path. Keep moving forward. Follow Jesus. Follow Him into deeper places. John chapter 8, verse 12 says this, Then Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows Me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. And if we follow Him, we will not walk in darkness, but we will have the light of life. Amen? So let's follow Him. May that be the mission of this church. May that be the cry of our hearts. May we rise up in one voice and say, we are going to follow Jesus that we are His, that we belong to Him, that we have been bought with a price and we are going to follow Him wherever He tells us to go, that we are disciples of Jesus making disciples of Jesus and there's nowhere else to go, nor would I want to go anywhere else. I love my Lord. I know what He has done for me and I'm going to follow Him. I'm going to follow Him. Pastor Joe, you want to close us with a song? Allow me to pray for us. Jesus, we love You. Thank You that You've called us and we will follow You gladly. Where You tell us to go, we will go. You have our hearts, Lord. 
You have our love. You have our affection. You have our obedience. And you have our wills. Jesus, Lord, would you have your way in this church? May we be a church that is pleasing to you. May we be a church that is all that is in your heart. We're on a journey, Lord, here in this life. And we want to serve you well. We want to be on the mission that you have set for us. We want to be fruitful. And Lord, you would have us be fruitful because you are glorified in it. So have glory in us. Have honor and praise in us, Lord. And help us, Lord, to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.